Where does inflation come from? What is a denarius in the Bible? And how much is a Rolex worth on the Titanic? You'll find out today on the Cross References Podcast. the Cross References podcast, where you learn how every small piece of the Bible tells one big story, and most importantly, how they all connect to the cross and Christ. Whether you're a newbie Christian or a veteran Bible reader, our goal is that God's Word will make more sense to you after every episode. This is Luke Taylor. I'm a pastor and not an economist, although I think I might know a little bit more than some of the people running this economy. A couple years ago, when the COVID-19 pandemic first hit, the government told everybody to stay home and very soon they dropped these stimulus packages on the population. The first one was for $2.2 trillion, and they sent about $1,200 per person. I remember appreciating the money, but I was also thinking, wait, doesn't this cause inflation? I mean, doesn't printing trillions and trillions of dollars and injecting it into the economy, isn't that exactly what causes inflation? And then in early 2021, there was once again a stimulus package. And this one was for $1.9 trillion and sent $1,400 to each person. And once again, I thought, the money is good, but isn't this exactly how you inflate the currency? And the economic experts kept going on TV. They were saying, don't worry, there won't be any inflation. Don't be silly. In fact, one year ago, right now, I'm recording this in uh, June of 2022, but one year ago right now, there were, ed- there were headlines. You can easily dig them up. Headlines claiming exactly that, that there's no inflation coming. Don't be silly. Don't be worried about it. And I thought, okay, well, I guess I don't know as much about economics as I thought I did because I thought it seemed really obvious back then that this is how you cause inflation. And here we are today, and guess what? We have inflation. We have inflation at the highest rate in 40 years. And if you're an American listener, I'd I don't have to tell you this. You feel the pain yourself. You see it whenever you go out to buy bacon and eggs. You see it whenever you fill up your car with gas. So how did I know something back in 2020 that that even the experts didn't seem to know? Well, I knew about the law of supply and demand and, and about the law of scarcity. So let me explain something here that I do know from economics. Uh, well, actually, I don't think I even learned this in economics class. I was a terrible student in my economics class in college. I told that story recently on my other podcast, so I won't even get into the whole thing again here. Um, I wasn't a terrible student in general, but when it came to economics, I was just uniquely uninterested in it. So I didn't try very hard in the class. But there's one aspect of economics that just kind of came as, as common sense, and it probably does to you too, I would think. I would think that what I'm about to explain is, is pretty much common sense. And yet the economic experts who go on ABC and CBS and CNN and all these news experts... They don't seem to know what I'm about to tell you. So in case any of them are listening, I want to break this down today and explain what causes inflation. And let's let's boil it down to this. Let's say you have five people living on an island and they share $20 between them. So each person has $4 and, and they use this money to buy things from each other on this little island that they have. One says, Um, Hey, can I have one of those coconuts that you pick from the tree? I will give you a dollar for that coconut. Or maybe another one says, hey, I need you to build me a tent because mine burned down last night. So I will give you $3 to build me a tent. So they trade the currency with each other 
in return for goods and services. And that's how a really simple economy works on this little island. They trade and give money to each other. And maybe how much money each person has, maybe it fluctuates from time to time. But they always have just $20 collectively between them because that's all the money that they have access to on this island. Now, let's say the government feels sorry for these people that are trapped down there on the island. It says, hey, hey, people, we're going to fly a plane over you and we are going to drop another $20 down to the island. So you each get another $4 a piece. Well, essentially, if they do that, now the amount of money in circulation on this island has just doubled. Now, on average, everybody has about $8. And that seems fine. That sounds good to the person who, you know, at their richest, they maybe just had 4 or $5 before. Now everybody has $8. That seems great. Except also, now you have twice as much money flowing around in this little economy. So suddenly, a dollar just doesn't seem as valuable to a person anymore because there's so much more money flowing around. Now you've got the coconut guy saying, well, I already have $8, so I'm not going to climb up in this tall tree and, and knock down coconuts for you for one measly dollar per coconut. I worked too hard to do that. Now I want $2 a coconut. And the tent maker, you know, he says, well, I'm not going to work all day building this tent for, for $3. I already have twice as much money today as I did yesterday. I, I'm just going to raise my prices from now on. So the economy slows down and people don't want to work for that money anymore because it's not as valuable as it used to be. And, and the government looks down here and they see they see that people aren't buying coconuts anymore. And they say, oh, well, th that's probably because people don't have enough money for coconuts. So let's drop another $20 on them. So they do it. And now everybody has 12 bucks and there's $60 in circulation on this little island. And at this point, coconuts definitely aren't going for a dollar anymore. Now the coconut guy... He wants $3 a coconut. So as you see in this little example, the more dollars you have in your bank account, the less valuable that a dollar is to you. If you have $1 and just only that $1, then that dollar is really important to you and you don't want to spend it unless you just really need to. If you want a coconut and a watermelon and they cost a dollar each, you have to pick one or the other. Now, if you have $5, you can relax a little bit. Maybe you can buy the coconut and the watermelon, but you want to be tight with your money because, you know, you don't have much left. But let's say you have $100 in your pocket. Well, you don't care now. You'll buy six coconuts. You know, you don't care. You're rich. You see, the more money you have, the less that money matters to you. It's kind of like cookies, okay? If there's a whole package of cookies, my wife will share. She's happy to share. She's generous with her Oreos when there's a whole package full of them. You can ask for a cookie. She'll gladly hand it over, but when there's just one or two more cookies left, the situation changes. And why is that? Because the less of something that there is, the more valuable it becomes. That's the law of scarcity in economics. It applies to cookies, to dollars, to whatever you're talking about. So when the government prints a bunch of money and just drops it on the people, this creates inflation. The government is always printing money. Inflation is always rising a little here and a little there. But when in a very short time, when the government just starts printing trillions and trillions of dollars, that creates the rapid inflation that we're seeing now. That's why Dollar Tree can't sell stuff for a dollar anymore. Stuff at Dollar Tree is like $1.50 now or $2. If the value of money stayed the same, Dollar Tree could leave their prices the same. But as money gets less valuable, as a dollar gets less value over time, Dollar Tree has to raise its prices if it wants to get any kind of profit. So again... 
I was not some stellar student in econ class, okay? I barely scraped by on those tests, but there's one thing I remembered from economy class, supply and demand. Listen, you don't have to know anything about economics to sound smart on economics. You just nod your head and you say, supply and demand, okay? Here's what I mean. Every time someone starts talking to me about something in the economy, and I have no idea what they're talking about, I just kind of shake my head and I just say, yep, supply and demand. And they'll say, yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> and just keep going. They think you're so smart. You don't even have to say anything else. Works every time. So, so, but what is supply and demand? Okay. That means the more you have of something, the less valuable it is. You know, if you have a whole bunch of shovels at your store, you might not make a whole lot of money per shovel because there's so many shovels out there. They just don't seem, they don't seem that valuable. They're so common. That's whenever you have a high supply, low demand scenario. But then let's say a snowstorm is coming through. Well, now everybody wants a shovel so they can clear out their driveway. So now they're now they're clearing you out. Now they're buying up all your shovels. Now you have a situation where there's high demand and low supply. You're almost out of shovels. So what do you do in that situation? You raise the rates. And that's not price gouging. That's the law of supply and demand. Now that there are fewer shovels available on the market, you charge more for them because they're more valuable to people. That's how supply and demand works. As supply goes up, demand goes down. As demand goes up, supply goes down. And if you don't understand it, it's okay. Just just nod your head and say, yep, supply and demand. <laughs> That's all you have to do. Now, I know you didn't tune into cross-references today for an economics lesson. And I don't have much interest in being an economics teacher. I say all this for the benefit. Um, again, for those who are in the upper echelons of government, in case they're listening today, <laughs> apparently they don't understand this. That when the government starts printing trillions upon trillions of dollars and just pours it out on people, it feels really good in the short term. But in the long term, meaning after two or three years, the positive effects of that stimulus package, they're lost because now everything in the store has suddenly become more expensive. And you're going to lose those gains that you made in your bank account because the money itself, it's just not as valuable anymore. And it stays expensive like that for years to come. So there's your economics lesson and your bad news for today. And all of this is an example, okay? All of this is a small taste of what will happen during the seven-year tribulation. The tribulation kicks off with four worldwide judgments. That first one was the Antichrist taking control of his world empire. The second one was an outbreak of war on the planet. The third horseman that will inflict pain on the world comes in Revelation 6, verses 5 and 6, which are the verses that we'll be looking at today. So here's Revelation 6, verses 5 and 6. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures, saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and the wine. So the third horse is what we just read about in those verses. And let's talk about all the elements we have in these two verses. We'll break it down and then we'll talk about what it's saying. We have a black horse, a pair of scales, the statement that a denarius will buy a quart of wheat, and also the statement that it will buy three quarts of barley, and that the oil and the wine are fine. So this judgment right here is on the world's economy. The economic structure of the entire planet is going to be disrupted and ruined. Prices are going to skyrocket through the roof, and it's going to be very hard 
to get a hold of food and nourishment in the tribulation. So let's start with the color black. And this symbolizes famine. A famine is a lack of food. Lamentations 5.10 says, Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. And when it says hot there, it's the Hebrew for kamar, which means black. It means darkened. The blackness of the horse in Revelation, it signifies the darkness of famine. Uh, the horse rider is holding a pair of scales. Scales often represent the justice system. But I think the, the scales here are referring to the economic balance, which will get all screwed up in the tribulation. Uh, and um, if you read in Proverbs, you know, a lot of times it talks about having unequal scales, unequal weights and measures. It means you're you're cheating people whenever you're doing business with them. So scales can have a justice meaning, but they can also have a, a monetary or an economic and financial um, implication. And that's what I think is going on here in Revelation 6. It's talking, it's talking clearly on this third horseman. The scales are referring to the financial system of the world. It's all messed up, and that's why they see skyrocketing inflation. Another meaning of, of this is the phrase, to weigh your bread. That's a Jewish idiom. That means whenever food or money is tight, you're weighing it out carefully because you're wanting to make sure that everybody has enough, but not too much because you don't want to run out. You want to be very careful with how much food you have in the house. So you're literally using a food scale. And I think that's what the pair of scales is just really getting at here. And, and then we had some statements that were, uh, they were made as the horses came forth. You heard the statement, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. This phrase is one of those, um, it has some different words that might pop up here depending on what translation you use. But the basic meaning is still the same. Like the King James Version, it says a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. The NIV really bears this out. It's, it, this is what the NIV says, and I think it's the most clear. Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages. So the day's wages thing, that's what we're really getting at here. The word that was translated measure right there, it's koinix uh, in the Greek, which I'm probably not saying right. It means about a liter of grain in modern terms, okay? But even then, we're kind of like, well, what is a liter of grain? <laughs> what does that equal out to for us as far as food-wise? Well, this would be about enough to feed one man or two, uh, about three meals a day. It could perhaps create one loaf of bread. And then the word that's translated a penny in the Greek is a denarian, and that's one day's wages. So penny really doesn't convey the idea. King James is very old, so they were operating... They were operating off a different money system even than what we have today. The main idea here is the idea of a denarius. It's one day's wages. So the price of everything is so high that you, do, you have to work all day long just to make enough money to buy one loaf of bread. Now, how can that be? Well, because the government rapidly inflates the currency. Now, why would they do that? Well, we've seen in America over the past few years how the government, they just kind of go into extreme spending as a way to deal with a crisis. That when you have some kind of crisis happen, like a pandemic, like a war on the other side of the planet, suddenly our country starts throwing all kinds of money at the problem and trying to fix it. It's like a knee-jerk reaction and it has severe negative side effects for you and I. It's a short-term solution, but it creates long-term problems. And what will the world be dealing with right around this time? Well, there was just a rapture in which millions of people around the planet, they just disappeared. And that's going to cause a social freak out. People are terrified. They're wondering what's next. They're wondering if they're next. They're looking for answers. I wouldn't doubt that there's looting and anarchy going on on a massive scale in the weeks following the rapture. People are probably not going to work. 
They're probably not wanting to leave their home. Society shuts down. And, and nobody in government is prepared to deal with something like this. Then an Antichrist comes along. And he probably rises to prominence because he seems to have all the answers. And he vows to take control and fix the mess. And yet no, no sooner has he taken power than the world erupts into war. World War Three, if it hasn't happened yet. It, you know, So now that's breaking out across the planet and it feels like things are falling apart. Society is collapsing. What can government do to provide some relief to people and calm them down? Their answer is going to be to send them money. We've already seen that that's what the government will do in a crisis. They will print up a whole bunch of money and try to spin their way out of it. So wheat and barley. Those are grains that you would use to make food in ancient times. One was harvested in the springtime, the other one in early winter. So this implies to me that the inflation is not some short-term thing that's only going to last a few months. You know, it may last the entire tribulation period. This is telling us that food is going to be really hard to come by in the tribulation, that you'll work all day for a loaf of bread. I was at the store last week, and I was just, I was marveling at how inflation has not seemed to affect the bread prices where I live. It was still 88 cents a loaf. But in the tribulation, it tells us that will not be the case. You'll work all day long, and you'll only be able to afford a loaf of bread. That's how bad inflation is going to be in the end times. My dad is a farmer. He said he's growing corn this year due to the war with Russia and Ukraine. Uh, apparently, Ukraine is a big supplier of corn to the rest of Europe. Now that the war is going on over there, the supply chain, it's been disrupted, and corn is less available. So because of that, the corn prices are, are three times higher in the United States for farmers than they were a year ago. So my dad said he's growing corn this year. Um, so when war breaks out, Supply chains, they're disrupted. The less of something that you have available, the more it costs. Okay, if you don't understand why, just nod your head and say, yep, supply and demand. Now, in the tribulation period, I don't think it'll be just bread that's hard to come by. All food is going to be hard to come by. It's a worldwide supply chain crisis, probably because the world is at war and there's economic calamity. It's going to be like the Great Depression of the 1920s and the 30s. My great-grandma was born during that time. I want to say about, um, well, she was born about 1913. She lived to be 96 or 97. So I grew up hearing a lot of stories about this time in history, about the Great Depression, about how hard it was to find a job and to find food and to just survive. And she said that her dad picked strawberries for 10 cents an hour and that he worked for 10 hours a day picking strawberries. So he worked 10 hours a day for $1 a day. And they would survive on this dollar. The family got by, but it was hard. Uh, you could go to the store and spend that dollar and get a few days worth of food. And you did not waste a penny of that dollar. And that was how a man provided for his family back then. That's how hard it was. Or here's another story of what they did. They sold walnuts um, on our family farm, which my great grandma grew up on and, and what I grew up on too. We had a lot of walnut trees all over and you could sell walnuts for money. Um, but, but the thing with selling walnuts, uh, the companies are only interested in the nuts that are inside the walnuts. They're not in, they're, in other words, they're not interested in the green shell that's around walnuts. Uh, if you don't have walnut trees where you live, you might not know this, but, but walnuts, they have these green shells around them, and you have to peel those off just to get to the nut part inside. So when I was growing up, we used to pick up walnuts, and we'd fill up a truck bed with them, and then we'd go to the next county over, and there's a place we could sell them. 
But in order to sell them, you had to shovel all those walnuts into this machine. And, and this machine would like grind and smash them. And basically it would just smash the green shell right off of the walnuts. So we'd shovel all the walnuts that were in the truck bed and we'd shovel them into this machine and, and the machine would strip the shell off the walnuts and then they would weigh just the nut part themselves. And they would pay you just based on that weight. You know, so usually about, you know, we get like $100 for a truck bed full of walnuts. Now, for my great-grandma in the Great Depression, back then, they didn't have those machines. So if you wanted to pick up and sell walnuts, what they had to do, they picked up walnuts, and then they poured them out in the dirt road that ran by their property. And so as vehicles would drive by, the vehicles would like, drive over the walnuts and smash them. And there weren't a lot of vehicles on the road back then. So this was a this was a long process. But they'd let just vehicles drive by and smash up the walnuts during the day. Then they would go out into the road and they'd pick through all those smashed walnuts and they'd pull out the nuts. And then they'd take buckets of nuts to wherever they took them back then and they'd sell them. And this was hard, grueling work. And they weren't getting rich doing it. They were just trying to survive. It was just a hard time to live back then. And until her dying day, my great-grandma did not waste food. You know, decades later, more than 50 years later, if she made a sandwich, she was going to eat every last bite. She just appreciated all that she had. And she knew what it was like to, to live without knowing what you would have for tomorrow. So as I think about this tribulation period, it makes me think back to th those hard times in history. Food is going to be scarce during the tribulation period. So scarce that, like that verse said, a person might work all day long just to get a loaf of bread or whatever it is that equates to about two or three meals. Okay, so, and that's just for one person. You know, what if he has to feed a family? I don't even know what they're going to do then. But the government's answer is probably going to be to print more money, which is just going to make the problems worse. But yeah, that's all, that's about all that government's good for anyway. Money does not cause inflation. The economy does not cause inflation. The government causes inflation because of its printing and its spending. So just remember that the inflationary problems that we see today and what the world is going to see in the tribulation, they aren't caused by viruses or pandemics or, or crisis. They're caused by the government policies in response to those pandemics and those crises. They're caused by the government. And in Revelation 6, they're caused by the government. And also, they are a judgment of God. They're caused by the third horseman of the apocalypse. We'll close down in a few minutes with a quick recap and some personal application of this chapter. Uh, first, let me just ask, do you like fake news? If not, you definitely do not want to check out my other podcast. It's called Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. And on that weekly show, we look at the past week of news stories through a meta-narrative of how the media covered those stories. And so that one's a lot of fun. It's more focused on current events. So if you don't like fake news, you definitely don't want to come listen to it. But if you like laughing at fake news... Come join the fun. We try to do new episodes of that one on Fridays. Um, if you have a question on, on this thing that we're studying today, on this uh, on these verses, you can leave a comment or shoot us an email, crossreferencespodcast at gmail.com. I'd be happy to take questions or recommendations on subjects that you think I should tackle in the future. The next time on this podcast, we'll be in Ezekiel once again. It looks like we'll be starting into chapter nine, um, probably covering the whole chapter in one lesson. And then two episodes from now, We'll be back here in Revelation again, learning about 
the fourth horseman of the apocalypse. So today, just to recap, John wrote down that he saw a third horse. This was a black horse and its rider was holding scales. And this represented scarcity and famine and that the economic system of the world was gonna be thrown into turmoil. The main word to remember is inflation. The currency is gonna be so inflated that people will struggle to afford the basics of life, even things such as food. It's gonna take a day's wages to buy enough food to feed one person for, for a day. So I don't think I ever even got to the oil and the wine. Um, that's referring to the luxury items. They're gonna be fine. So what's that all about? Well, I think it's referring to the things that you realize you really don't need in a crisis. The things that are super valuable right now, but if you were in a life and death struggle, you'd realize how meaningless it is. You know, if you're on the Titanic and it's sinking, you don't really care if someone gives you a, a $5 million watch. At that moment, you need a lifeboat. You couldn't care less about $5 million unless you could buy a, buy a canoe with it. And that's the kind of desperation that's going on in the world at the time of the tribulation. It'll affect everybody. It'll be the German inflation. It'll be the Great Depression. It'll be, it'll be everywhere. Of all the judgments that we'll read about, this one hits very close to home. Not because we're experiencing inflation right now, but because what we're experiencing now is just a small taste compared to the tribulation itself. Um, I think we can look back in history. We can see a better example, um, which I just mentioned a second ago, the, the German inflation back in the 1920s. That was between World War I and World War II. And Germany was set back pretty far uh, economically by World War I. War is expensive. <laughs> I, I saw a report just recently. It said Russia has been spending about $15 million an hour on their war with Ukraine. So war is something that's extremely costly. And, and Germany was economically devastated by World War I. They became so desperate to get their financial system back under control, they were printing money like crazy. They had rapid inflation like you've never seen. In Germany in 1919, the last year of World War I, an ounce of gold cost 170 marks. They used a form of currency that was called marks. So 170 marks, that was the value to one ounce of gold. Four years later, an ounce of gold was 372,444 marks. <laughs> so why did it expand so much in such a short time? Well, after World War I, they had so much national debt from the war they decided, let's just start printing more money and try to print enough money to pay off that debt. And they printed so much money that the marks just weren't worth as much anymore. 170 marks bought an ounce of gold in the last year of World War I. Four years later, it took more than 370,000 marks to buy that much gold. And still, it rose from there. Uh, so money had become so worthless, they were printing bills that literally said 50 million marks. I mean, can you imagine the American dollar becoming so worthless? We started printing dollar bills that were that were worth $50 million. That's what Germany started doing in the 1920s. It was called hyperinflation. And it happened to Poland as well uh, back around that time. And to Greece in the 40s. And in Argentina in the late 80s. But Germany holds the record for the worst inflationary spiral in world history. And Germany got into that position by printing 1.3 trillion marks, that would be about 4 trillion in today's dollars. And by the way, do you remember how much I said at the start of the show that America has printed in the last few years in stimulus packages? They, they, they printed 4.1 trillion. So our financial elites seem to have no understanding or appreciation of what causes inflation. 
And if they don't get this under control, there's potential that we could go the same way as Germany. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just pointing out the potential, okay? Best case scenario, we have a tough couple of years ahead. Worst case, it's gonna take more than a few years. But again, I have no intention of scaring you because I'm not scared. My God takes care of me. I tithe, I give, I spend less than I earn, and God provides. And my great grandma trusted in God to take care of her through the Great Depression, and he did. She lived to just a few years short of 100, and she had four kids and many more grandkids and even more great-grandkids. And if she could trust God through the Great Depression, you and I can too, and whatever we face. Thanks for listening to the Cross References Podcast. And this has been Luke Taylor, reminding you that there will always be enough, but do not take the last cookie.